good to be with you in person today after getting to spend a holiday weekend cooped up in my home in isolation from my family and everybody else as I was uh, dealing with COVID. I don't know about you, but I'm about done with that thing. How about you, right? Um, just tired of the inconvenience and the interruption, um, yet here we find ourselves, right? So it's hard to believe, I mean, two years later, I, I think there are things that will never, ever be the same as they were March of 2020. And uh, like history will continue to reflect and, and analyze all the things that like we've learned to deal with or how we've dealt with them. I think there's probably long-term impact that we just don't really even know. Things like, you know, virtual learning or social distancing or masking or vaccinations, on and on and on and on they go, right? And yet uh, they have a seismic impact. They, they shift our world and the way it operates and uh, in a lot of ways. And I think the ripple effect is is uh, like dominoes falling after another. One of the things that's a phenomenon that's happening in kind of in this post-pandemic world is what people are calling the great resignation. It's people voluntarily walking away from their job or their work, their career, um, to explore like themselves and also to find like maybe a higher calling or a deeper purpose. To the tune of like 4.5 million people walked away from their job in the fall of 2021. In spring, May 2022, that number was 4.3 million people. I mean, this is not just a few. This is like a, a seismic shift that we look at and recognize. And uh, again, some self-assessment is never a bad thing to do. It can be very healthy, right? So people are walking away from work because they want to have a better life-work balance. And that's certainly not a bad thing. People are looking for like a higher purpose. They like realize they're kind of on this uh, treadmill, this rat race, and realize that there's something much more meaningful in life, like their family or like a higher purpose than what they have been doing, whether it's provided the, to meet the needs or not. Some people have actually observed this as not just the great resignation, but really the great reassessment. Many people questioning their priorities in life and making shifts to explore things that were maybe fuller in purpose or deeper and higher in priority. I think there's much more of a spiritual question at the root, though. I mean, reassessing our identity and our purpose in life, that's the most basic of self-discovery. We live in a culture, though, that seems to curate everything. It seems like image is so manufactured in our world today. I mean, advertisers expertly portray products that you and I feel like we have to have. Social media influencers portray a lifestyle that they expect followers just to follow suit. Advertisers in our world, social media influencers, all those people, and even media outlets are all packaging information according to the audience's sensibilities. If all of life is curated and advancing an agenda, what really is true in life? What's really reality? How do we avoid just looking like another sound bite or image when you and I are trying to pursue authentically following Jesus, trying to live and love like him? What does living and loving like Jesus look like in a world where people are skeptical, they doubt, there's polarization, and there's even cynicism that's running rampant? Well, thankfully, God thought it was really important for us to know what was true. In fact, he really wanted us to understand and experience true love. And he cared so much about that, he decided to reveal himself, his character and activity as a true definition of what real love is all about. 
I want us to look at one of the most consistent descriptions of God found in Scripture. To set that up, let me just kind of walk through a moment that's found in Exodus chapter 34. It's a pretty cool, pretty powerful moment. It's Moses going back up the mountain of Sinai a second time. The first time, Moses was up there with God and God was solidifying the covenant that he had made with the people of Israel for all the way back to Abraham. But in this moment, he's giving Moses the Old Testament law. But while Moses was up on the mountain getting the law from God, the people were down below and they took a bunch of gold that had been given to them as they were leaving Egypt And Aaron, Moses' brother, formed a golden calf out of all this gold. And the people were bowing down and worshiping this golden calf, saying that it was the calf that brought them out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. As Moses descended down the mountain that day, he saw all that was taking place. He took those stone tablets that God had written the law on and he broke it into a hundred pieces. I think I probably would have been ticked too. In that moment... God sent a plague as a punishment for the people's sin. And they actually turned in repentance back to God and God invited Moses back up onto the mountain. I think as Moses climbed the mountain that second time, he was probably doing some reassessment. He was asking himself like, do I really wanna do this for the rest of my life? Am I really the right person to lead these people? Do I really have a clear picture of who God is so that I can be effective and fulfill the mission that God has given me? And so when he got back up to the mountain, Moses asked God a very specific request, show me your glory. He wanted to know who God was and he wanted to know God's heart so that he could be effective in the mission that God had given him to lead his people. So God granted Moses' request with a self-description. And this phrase is repeated over and over and over and over and over all throughout the Old Testament. This is what God says. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That description of God, like I said, has been repeated. I won't take the time today to walk through every Old Testament reference because they are literally hundreds of times God is revealed as this. And I want to focus on today at our time together on this phrase, abounding in love, loving kindness. God's loving kindness is a golden thread that's woven all throughout Scripture. It's a multifaceted and multidynamic and fairly impossible concept to really fully understand. The word loving kindness comes from a Hebrew word, and that word is hesed. Hesed is this, it's faithful in love and action, persistent in unconditional tenderness, kindness and mercy, steadfast and covenantal love, not based on deservedness, but on the loyalty and commitment of the one offering it. That's a really, really important thing to remember. It is concrete, it's action-taking kind of love. It's the kind of love that someone demonstrates when they're keeping a promise, when the desire to be loyal to that promise motivates them to go above and beyond in actions, especially actions of kindness, of mercy, and compassion. David praised God for his loving kindness many times. Psalm 35 says, Lord, your loving kindness goes to the heavens. You are as faithful as the sky is high. You are as right and good as a mountain is big. You are fair when you judge as the sea is deep. In Psalm 69, David says, Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me because of your great loving pity. 
Psalm 103, David says this, the Lord is full of loving pity and kindness. He's slow to anger and has much loving kindness. He will not always keep after us. He will not keep his anger back forever. He's not punished us enough for all of our sins. He's not paid us back for all of our wrongdoings, all expressions of his loving kindness. For his loving kindness, for those who fear him, is as great as the heavens are high above the earth. He's taken our sins from, far, as from us as far as the east is from the west. I just want to sit here in this moment for a moment. Would you let that kind of love described the love that God has for you, just fill your mind and fill your heart and just wash over you in this moment? Think about that kind of love just for a moment. Now, while 75% of the occurrences of Hesed in the Old Testament are all in reference to God's love for us, you and me, there are also some beautiful pictures of hesed expressed between people. One of those is an expression between two friends, David and Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and King Saul had a jealous heart toward David. It all started back when David defeated Goliath. As the army was returning from defeating the Philistines, women sang this song, Saul has killed the thousands and David his tens of thousands. That infuriated Saul and drove him in jealousy to try to kill David multiple times. But in the midst of this conflict, Jonathan and David became dear friends. When the violence toward David had reached its height, Jonathan encouraged David that he should flee to escape the wrath of his father. And so they made a plan for David to escape. And just before leaving, David and Jonathan made a covenant of love to each other, uh, an expression of hesed. Look how Samuel describes it in 1 Samuel 20. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it so ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness, that's at Hesed, like the Lord's kindness, both of those put together, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies, from the face of the earth. Well, David lives, but Jonathan and his father Saul are killed in battle. That loving kindness continues years past as David remembers the covenant that he and Jonathan made. Samuel records another moment that expresses this covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let me just read it for you. David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. 
So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him in honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belongs to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always be at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. What a beautiful picture of hesed, loving kindness, love that is expressed in loyal commitment, mercy, and kindness generously expressed. Another picture of Hesed is found when an Israelite woman named Naomi loses her husband and two sons in death. She encourages her daughter-in-laws to return back to their own families because there was no other children she was going to bear for these women to be married to. In fact, she says, go back to your mother's home and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husband and to the me. May the Lord hesed you. May the Lord show you loving kindness and provide security of another marriage. One of the daughter-in-laws decides to leave, but the other makes a strong expression of commitment to her mother-in-law, described as hesed. Her name is Ruth. Look what she says. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if death separates you and me. What a picture of devotion, loyalty, generous commitment expressed by Ruth. These pictures of Hesed are a reflection of the way that God loves, abounding in love, loving kindness. There is a fullness of commitment, loyalty, steadfastness that isn't warranted or deserved by the recipient, but nonetheless is extended as an expression of the character and behavior of the one offering this type of love. Now, while the word Hesed doesn't appear in the New Testament because it's a Hebrew word, it does show up in the character and in the life of Jesus. All of Jesus' teachings, his miracles, his interaction with people demonstrate this type of love. One of the pictures of this love being expressed by Jesus comes on the night before he was crucified, when he's celebrating the Passover meal with his closest friends, his disciples. John records this moment. If you want to look at it, it's in John 13, or just listen as I read John's account of it. John 13, verse one. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour, his hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. That's that loving kindness of God expressed in Jesus. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around them. Verse 12 says, when, they had finished, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place and asked them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. In the same conversation, Jesus wraps up with these words, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus says, you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In the same way that God showed Hesed to the people of Israel who were so undeserving, Jesus demonstrated Hesed to his disciples, really to anybody he came in contact with, again, so undeserving. But then he instructs and even sends his followers to show Hesed to the world as a demonstration of their faith as well as a definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. On January 2nd, 1956, five young men in their 20s took a short flight across the thick jungle in Ecuador and were dropped off one by one on the shore near a dangerous indigenous tribe known uh, then as the Akas. They're now known as the Wadani. The, uh, the Akas had killed Many a outsider who were ever caught near their territory, including some workers who were working on an oil drill site. The five men had actually been living in Ecuador for three years, learning to speak Spanish. And after conquering Spanish, they moved on to understand how to speak Shandia and then the Kichiwa languages with the purpose of sharing the good news about Jesus to anyone that they encountered. Many Kachiwans had become followers of Jesus, and the men knew now that they should turn their attention to the Akka people. They knew the only way to keep the Akkas from killing others was to show them the love of Jesus. So they came up with a plan to show that the Akkas, that they were friendly. They began flying over the area where the Akkas lived, and they were lowering gifts down from a bucket from an airplane to the Akka people. After several months, the Akka actually sent a gift back up with that same bucket to the airplane. And in that moment, the men knew that the time to make a personal visit had arrived. And so, as they approached the shore that day in January, they screamed from an amplifier from the airplane, come to the shore to the Akka people. And then they landed one after another. They waited for two days, and then eventually one Akka man and two Akka women emerged from the jungle to the shore that day. And the men were elated. Even though the language barrier was still very difficult to navigate, they enjoyed a meal together. And they encouraged these three to return to the Akka village and bring back more of their people to visit. They waited two more days. 
And after two days, they were so elated when they saw two women emerging from the jungle again. And so they rushed out to meet them. But quickly, they heard the violent screams. Um, when they turned around, they saw Aka warriors with their spears drawn. These men owned one gun. And they had made a vow among each other that they would not use this gun to kill an Aka who did not know Jesus to protect their life because they did know Jesus. And so within seconds, the Aka warriors threw their spears and killed all five men. Ed McCauley, Roger Yonderin, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, and Jim Elliott. Two of their wives were waiting back by a two-way radio back where they had flown from to hear how things went that day. And when there was no call, they knew that the news must be bad. Another missionary pilot made a flyover of that same shoreline and found a battered airplane, but no men. The U.S. sent a search team and did find all five bodies and buried them. Years before that moment, Jim Elliott wrote in his prayer journal these now very famous words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. But that's not the end of the story. Less than two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, her young child, Valerie, and Rachel Saint, the sister of Nate Saint, moved to that same Aka village, the same village where those who had killed their husband, brother, and three others lived. Through the friendship of some Akan women, one named Dayuma, they learned the Aka language, and they began to befriend the Aka people. They sent Dayuma back to the village and encouraged her to bring the Aka people to meet them. Dayuma returned actually with an invitation for those ladies to come and be part of the village. And though warned not to by many Christians, Elizabeth, her three-year-old daughter, and Rachel navigated the dangerous jungle terrain, and they faced the same probability that Akas might choose to kill them. In that moment, Elizabeth Elliot is quoted as saying, as long as this is what the Lord requires of me, then all else is irrelevant. Elizabeth described the reception of the Aka villagers as friendly. In fact, her and her company stayed for a whole year ministering to the Akas. The Saint family actually continues ministering to the Aka people today. And many Akas have come to be followers of Jesus, influenced and inspired by the love that they have received by those who they dealt a painful blow in their lives. It's a beautiful picture of the Hesed of God, lived out well in the lives of ordinary men and women, just like you and me, who took Jesus' instructions seriously to love as they have been loved. But I'll admit, it feels a little untouchable, feels a little superhumanist, doesn't it? I mean, not many of us will fly to Ecuador and give up our life being speared by those we came to share love with. Let me give you maybe a more Crossroads close example. In May of this year, Crossroads hit our one-year anniversary of being part of something that's called the Care Portal. The Care Portal is an online platform where the DCS can post needs of families that they are interacting with and, and helping assess and assist in some way. And it allows people in churches all across Evansville to raise their hand and volunteer to help respond to that need. Many of you have participated in the care portal. 
And we're glad to report that over the past year, many tangible needs have been met in the love of God for people who are going through some really crazy situations. Because we want to deepen our understanding of the, of the foster care system and, and to provide God's love in very tangible ways, we've also piloted something that's called Care Communities. It started by identifying one family here at Crossroads who is a foster family and surrounding them with one small group who would just commit to them in a Hesed type of way, that they would provide tangible needs for this family as they are fostering. And the reason why is because 50% of families who foster one year choose not to do it ever again. 70% of foster families who foster for two years, they stop fostering. But there's also a study that shows that when a foster family is surrounded by a supportive network, or maybe another group of people who are cheering them on, providing their needs, walking with them, the, the odds of them sticking with fostering is extremely high. And so we're trying to pilot a way that we could provide this type of loving kindness to those who are expressing loving kindness to others. A small group led by Dwight and Trish Salvera have surrounded a family, the Stewart family here at Crossroads. And they started just simply by getting to know each other, exchanging names and information just to begin to build a relationship of friendship, of love, and of trust. A next step to that was that they began just bringing a meal, the Salvera small group, to the Stewarts once a week just to meet a tangible need. They also went and organized like a toddler playroom. They began allowing uh, the steward, mom and dad, to, to have one night as a date night each week just so they could have some time to themselves. All just simple expressions of hesed, of loving kindness expressed in tangible ways to meet a need. Both groups are benefiting from this. The small group is understanding what it really means to express love in tangible ways, not just in their actions, but watching and being involved in the actions of the stewards as they care for those who are in some really difficult life situations. And of course, the Stewart family is benefiting because their needs are being met in tangible ways. They're, they're being strengthened as they continue to keep faithful to this call that God's placed on their life. I think it's a beautiful expression an example of the love exchanged in a Hesed type of way. Both sides of the relationship are fulfilling God's calling to love the way that they've been loved by God. So let me ask you, what would it look like if you and I chose to love in a way that reflects how God has loved us? This expression of loving kindness of Hesed. I think it's time we do some assessing to see what really is important to us in life. Is it really about making money? Is it really about having power or a position? Is it about being comfortable, getting our way or seeing our dream come to reality? Or is it about seeing God's love expressed in tangible ways to all people so that they could experience as well as embrace God's love for them? If you've experienced God's love, you are expected to express God's love. In this series, we are going to explore what real love looks like, how we can reflect love as God loves, the example that we see in Jesus. And we're trusting in the Holy Spirit to embody that type of love in all of us. To be human is to be created for a purpose. 
to live in a relationship with God, to live in a relationship with others, but also to live on mission. We call that sense of living on mission here at Crossroads being sent or sentness. Sentness is uh, essential to our created purpose. It, it really cannot be separated from it. When we are sent, we have the opportunity to love others. But how we love is extremely important. We look around us and see that people are tired, they're isolated, even hopeless. And most of us are just inwardly focused, we're selfish, we're just busy kind of self-preserving ourselves, self-preservation. You know, our own needs often blind us to the needs of others and keep us from even pursuing opportunities to show love. In this series, we want to discover what real love is all about as defined in the character and in the activity of God, revealed in the flesh of Jesus. Again, embodied in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this series is hopefully going to equip us to real love by discovering a fuller understanding of how God loves us and learning how we can love like he does. And along the way, we're going to be prompting you to take action, to express real love in tangible ways. One of the ways that we're going to do that is this week called Love Our City. You heard about it a little bit earlier in our worship gathering. You should have picked up a card when you came in today. It gives you information about it. You can also find plenty of information on our website. During this week, this Love Our City week, you'll have the opportunity as an individual, as a family, as a group in community to show God's love. And we're going to be providing ideas of how you can do that in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in this community, along with our local ministry partners. On August the 7th, we're actually not going to gather for worship that Sunday morning to give you space and time to love our city in tangible ways as individuals, families, or as groups. And then that evening, on Sunday, August 7th, we're going to gather at Friedman Park in Newburgh for an outdoor worship experience. There'll be some activities for families, food, and also just a worship gathering where we can celebrate how God has loved us, but even more, how we are choosing to express his love in tangible ways. It's time to realize that there really is something worth living for, maybe even worth dying for, like those men found out in Ecuador. It's showing real love, real love of God to others. As we learned today, this love it's displayed by long-term, committed, sacrificial love expressed in kindness and mercy, active and generous, even toward those that we might not feel are even deserving. Remaining faithful to your spouse, being patient with your child, regardless of age, is a way to express the loving kindness of God. Taking time to sip a cup of coffee with a friend who's going through a, a tough spot is a way to express the loving kindness of God. Getting acquainted with your neighbor, mowing their yard while they're on vacation is a way to display the loving kindness of God. Noticing a task at your workplace that hasn't been completed and it's not your job. Doing that task is a way to express the loving kindness of God seeing someone without food or clothing, and responding by meeting their need, but not just one time, nurturing a relationship, developing a friendship is a way to express the loving kindness of God. 
serving along one of our partners in the Glenwood community to make sure every child has a great education is a way to express the loving kindness of God. Going to a nursing home regularly and making a friend with someone who doesn't have family in this community is a way to express the loving kindness of God. Giving time to rehab a house that would allow a family to have a home is a way to express the loving kindness of God. Supporting a family who's fostering kids so that they're loved and supported or fostering a child yourself is a way to express the loving kindness of God. And when we love like that, We are truly living and loving like Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for expressing your love in very tangible ways, a love that is described as overflowing, abundant in love, a love that is covenantal, a love that is so generous and merciful and compassionate, even to people like me who are so undeserving. God, thank you for loving in that way to show us a picture of how to love others. God, my prayer today, throughout this series, God, we would truly experience a deeper, fuller understanding of how you love us so that we can love in the same way. God, would you help us to remember that if we've been loved by you then we are expected to love like you, God, I pray that we would do that. I pray that that people's lives would be changed because of that, that they would see you clearer. They would experience your love deeper. They would be drawn to you and embrace you as their Savior, as their God, as their Father. Lord, it's to that end that we pray. It's, It's that mission that you've given us, God, to make disciples of all nations. And we here at Crossroads, God, we feel like living and loving like Jesus in this community, in our families, in our workplaces, our schools, God, wherever you would take us. It's a way that could help that mission become accomplished. Lord, it's to that end we work. It's to that end that we pray. Amen.